Hello and welcome to the Me and My Golf podcast. I'm your co-host Piers Ward and we have an amazing guest for you this week. We have none other than Chris Como. Now Chris Como is a golf coach with a difference. He has a Masters of Science degree in biomechanics. He's worked with some of the best players and coaches in the world and none other than 2014 working with Tiger Woods. He was a consultant with Tiger on his game. He now continues to work with great players on the PGA and LPGA Tour. But his greatest involvement now is undoubtedly with Bryson DeChambeau. He's overseen this speed gain mission that Bryson has gone on. So in this podcast, we get a fascinating insight into Tiger, into Bryson. We also get to understand what amateur golfers should be doing with their game. So without further ado, here is Chris Como. Chris Como, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing? Good, good. How are you good. guys? Very good, thank you. Yeah, yeah. You're live from the living room lab. I've seen it on social media. It looks a great place, and we were just saying it'd be it'd be great to come and visit there and spend some time there with all the uh, the gear you've got there. Uh, yeah, it'd be awesome to have you guys. We we would have fun if you came for a weekend and just mess around on the technology and, and you know, shot some interesting content. Brilliant, yeah, for, sure, for sure. Well, look, it's uh, it's great to to get you on the podcast. We've wanted to get you on for a while now. We've admired what you've done. You've had a you know a good career and. Uh, You've done some great things, worked with some great players. You've got the Golf Channel show. You seem to have a lot of things going on. Um, and it's great today just to chat to you about your life as a coach, some of the things that you've done and the lessons that you've learned, really. Um, I think where we'd like to start, really, is just a, I think with everybody that we'd like to go, it's, it is nice to have a little bit of background. And I suppose you're a golf coach. How did you get into golf coaching and where you are today? Where did it all start for you, really? If you can give us a bit of a brief background on it. Yeah, um, I'm a first-generation golfer, so no one in my family played golf. Uh, a friend of mine's uncle took me golfing when I was like 16, and I just became enamored with it. Um, and, you know, I think you know, I, I, I obviously wanted to get a, a, as good at the game as I could, and I felt like I had started fairly late to be competitive. So in my, my mind, I'm like, I'm going to try to uh, kind of like expedite this process of getting better at golf by reading every golf book I could find, which – in hindsight, was like a bad strategy, but at the at the time, it seemed to make sense. So I just I, I got really into just studying kind of like instruction and 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 just the ideas that were out there about like the golf swing, and um, you know worked really hard at the game. Got 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 a job at a golf course picking up balls on the driving range, um, and then we just when I wasn't working, just practice as much as possible. And then I, you know, I would save up money and go get a lesson from say a teacher, like, you know, someone who, I would try to find people who had good reputations out in California, um, Southern California. And I would go into these lessons and I would kind of like try to beat them to the punch on what they would suggest just because I'd been like doing my own studies. Right. And I had these teachers who were just like, Whoa, you know, like you're obviously working pretty hard at like trying to understand all this stuff. And they took me under their wing um, at a pretty early age, guys like uh, Roger Gunn, um, Adam Schreiber, who taught Anthony Kim for what still teaches him, but Anthony's not playing these days, but like uh, Anthony Kim's coach, um, uh, Brady Riggs, pretty well-known teacher, Chris Zambri, who is the coach at USC, the men's coach at USC for many years. So I had all these guys who were awesome golf minds uh, kind of take me under the wing pretty early on. And um, that just gave me more and more of a thirst for coaching and instruction. And, and, you know, eventually that was the path that I sort of dedicated my, my life to. Love that. Love that. And then, so from there, when, when you obviously were going through your coaching, you know, I would say, I mean, this, this brings us to Tiger Woods really. So 2014, 
I think obviously a lot of people would have heard of you as a golf coach, but obviously as soon as you start working with Tiger Woods, there becomes a higher interest um, level. So how did that all start? So, uh, okay. So, so that was how I got, I'll, I'll say that's the early part of how I got into coaching. And then after that, I basically, when I graduated uh, college undergrad, I traveled the country, worked for a bunch of different teachers, um, worked for lead for a little bit, worked for Haney for a bit, Mac O'Grady as well, mm -hmm. spent some time with him. Um, and then eventually ended up in Dallas. Um, and in Dallas, I just kind of started, you know, just very grassroots, uh, was teaching at a driving range, built uh, a book, a business, just kind of teaching at a driving range where, you know, you only get clients by helping people hit the golf ball better. So it wasn't like you get people because you're at an academy, which is very raw. Like you don't pay your bills unless you can help someone hit it better. It's a very sort of pragmatic kind of you know, way of teaching because you're in that environment. Um, started teaching some, some better players, some juniors, some guys on the mini tours. And then eventually I went to grad school to, to study biomechanics. So I went to grad school at night while I was teaching full-time during the day. And at the time, Noda Begay lived in Dallas. Um, and he had kind of followed a little bit of my career of, oh, this guy's trying to work with some better players, some juniors. And then I was going to grad school, had done some research in biomechanics, had some, a couple of papers published with the group there in some journals, some sports journals. And, you know, we had become friends, had lunch a few times or whatever. And when Tiger was starting to kind of, you know, really trying to figure out, okay, how do I, how do I maybe keep playing given, you know, all these struggles I'm having with my back, he thought uh, we, it would be potentially a good fit. Um, I should say this, at that time, I was already starting to teach some guys on tour, uh, Jamie Lovemark, uh, Aaron Bally, Trevor Immelman. So I was kind of like from two directions, one from like the research side of it, and then the other one from the, the just sort of the teaching and starting to, to be out, out on tour a bit, um, you know, getting a little bit of kind of, I guess, you know, just a reputation of some sorts. And, and Noda was like, hey, I think this would be a good match. Um, so he introduced us. Um, and then, you know, we had an initial conversation in person, just talked golf swing, different ideas, really had some good chemistry, um, had a second conversation, and then eventually it became, um, you know, the relationship. It's, it's, it's so interesting. I mean, I, do you think anything played into that as well with obviously Immelman and Aaron Badley, you know, great golf swings, technically looking really sort of nice and neat and stylish. Did that play into it, do you think, for Tiger as well? Um, I, I would hope not because a big thing that I advocate for is not trying to get too attached to certain aesthetics, right? So I think one of our conversations was like, hey, look, you can get guys who look neat and pretty don't hit it great. You can get guys who don't look neat and pretty like, you know, say Jim Furyk or Trevino who absolutely flush it. Um, you know, for, for anybody, including himself, don't get too tied into what I would call superficial aesthetics. Let's look at stuff that really, really matters. Um, and that's kind of, you know, especially with a better player is, is part of my early messaging. Um, so if anything, it was like, hey, don't, that's not, it's not that that matters. It's, it's the quality of, of how a person strikes it. And there's things that go into that that are much more important than say, what's the club face position at the top or what's the plane of the swing you're, the plane that you're swinging on, the air quotes plane you're swinging on. So, um, so I would say no, because I would, I would actually <laughs> advocate, I would tell someone, don't make that a factor. <laughs> please don't, uh, yeah, please don't do it that way. So, I mean, look, it's very interesting with Tiger, isn't it? Because he's obviously, He's obviously one of, if not the best golfer ever. You know, he's won all these tournaments, major championships. He's changed his golf swing often in this period, which is quite unique. You would say there's not many people who've done that as much as he's done. 
So when you obviously, when you start talking together, did you have a quite a clear vision of what you wanted to achieve and how that was going to go? Um, I had a, 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 a template to start with. And then I think at the end of the day, when you get into it with someone, there's going to be variables that, that, you know, at, at a previous point in time are unknown that you got to update with. Right. So to me, I'm, I'm, you, it's like you got to be able to call audibles along the way. That's just the reality of, of, of working with a human being. But the clear template on the front end was, hey, look, in 2000, or I would even say um, 97 or even as a junior, it's like this is like the gold standard. The way you swung it back then was a gold standard in terms of, of ball striking. There's, you know, arguably no one's ever hit the ball better than, than he did in 2000. Um, when it comes to like what actually goes into a person scoring better, you can say guys like, you know, Hogan or Trevino or whoever hit it straighter, but he hit it pretty darn straight, really far and really high. And height is a big component of if you're trying to stop balls on fast greens, which is what majors typically are, that's, that's sort of the game you want. So to me, his game in 2000 was like the gold standard. How do you get as much of that in your swing as possible, given the, the constraints of what your body can currently do? Um, or, or I should say also in a way, get your body, get, do that as best as possible in a way right now where your body can move in a way that's going to you know, minimize the chance of future injuries. So kind of a combo of, of all those yeah. things. Um, that was the template. And then exactly, you know, the details of what can your body currently do and what's the path that's going to injure it as, as little as possible. That's where I think you're constantly updating as you get to know a person more and more and more. And that's just in, in general from a, from a coaching sort of philosophy. It's like, you got to be ready to like, you know, not be too dug in on your perspective, what a person needs to do, but, but, but taking new information and, and use that as a, as a, as a means to update kind of your own approach with that person. Love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. Yeah. And I think, I think with, I do you know what's amazing with, with, with Tiger that, and I what were your thoughts on this actually, Chris? I mean, we, we see a lot of good players and for some people, it's almost like to a certain degree, they can still get it round with whatever swing they've got. So you look at Tiger when he was, you know, before he came to see you, I know he was with Foley and he was swinging it quite different to how he used to swing a long time ago, but he was still getting it done. And there's a certain element where the really, really good player, once they've sort of settled on a certain swing, they can still get things done. It just seems to, they just have that ability still. Does that make sense? hundred percent. I mean, I mean, there is that, just that ability to just sort of score. Right. And, and, you know, something that I think is, is, is fairly unique to tiger is you get these people who, you know, were kind of like air quotes grinders. Oops. Hello. That was you guys. Yeah, we go. Okay. You get these guys who are like kind of air quotes grinders, like, you know, a Corey Pavin or, or whoever, who just like, you know, no matter how they hit it, they could just like, they could stay in it. They could get up and down multiple times in a row. They could miss like six screens in a row in a row and still just be getting up and down, up and down, up and down. Tiger had that mindset. Um, he has that ability. One, he's got the skill, the short game, but then also the ability, like the mental sort of tenacity to be like, okay, I'm hitting it bad and I'm staying in the game like mentally. Right. And, and he had that, but then he also was a great ball striker back, back, say back in the day. I mean, he's always been a pretty good ball striker. Right. Um, but like the best, the best ball striker, like say in 2000. So a guy like tiger, even when he was say going through swing changes, because at, at every given point, he hit it pretty good. Right. No matter who he worked with, 
So this is a testimony to him and not to the, like the teachers were just like, this guy's just like unbelievable. It's just, he's going to do it. Right. But like, even when he was say in between swings, he could still figure out ways to just get it around. And that's an amazing, I don't, you know, intangible. Um, Cause so much of it is a combination of the actual skill, the short game and their, their ability to putt, but also that mental tenacity to be able to miss a bunch of greens in a row and not get discouraged and just kind of stay in it. Right. So he has that knack. I mean, obviously there's been a handful of other people who've had that, but there's also been professional golfers who have made swing changes and have lost their game. Right. Like that's a, that's a very real, uh, that's a very real thing that's happened. Um, so it's interesting. Like, what happened to them? They, did they lose their ability to score? Right. Um, you know, what went into that? Um, and that's, that's probably its own rabbit hole to, to kind of go down of when a guy does lose his game, what, what's, what's actually happening in that, that those for instances. Yeah. What would you say that you learned from Tiger? Cause I know when, you know, good players teach us, don't they? What mm. do, what did you pick up from Tiger that you, that, that's helped you in from a, from a coaching standpoint, would you say? I think that that loop, that that sort of that loop between a coach working with a player, but what they get out of a player is such a big deal. Like I've learned so much. If I already put like kind of my learnings into big buckets, it's been other coaches, some of the guys who are doing research and scientists, and then a big one, or well, the other one is is just um, just experienced teaching, just like teaching. I, I, for young teachers, I encourage them just teach as much as possible. Teach all skill levels, like, cause like even giving lessons to, you know, 20 handicaps, I think at some level helps me with better players as well. So teach all skill levels, but then also like the players you work with, right? Like you're going to learn so much from them. So, so yeah, I mean, I think uh, working with better players is, is such a great learning experience with Tiger specifically. I mean, I would say two big things. One is we studied a bunch of footage of him again, say like 2097 as a junior or even throughout his whole career, really, just because so much of my own coaching style is to try to get into the head of the person and what their experience of their swing is, you know, especially at different times in their career. So like together we had sat and we've sat and watched so much video of his action throughout the years. So, you know, I've seen all this video objectively, like really studied his swing um, you know, my mind feel like I understand kind of like a lot of the nuances, things or whatever, but then to have him communicate what he felt, his experience of say a swing in 2000, it's sort of like, I mean, that's the, I mean, what better education is there to, to, to sort of like study tiger swing in 2000 and then have him talk about what he felt during that time. <laughs> um, I mean, just this is, this is, what an incredible experience, right. That I'm so grateful for. And then the other part is, uh, kind of really understanding one, the guy never gives up and what that means. Just like, I mean, there was times when his back was, was so whatever, and not a great place. I mean, think about it, right. The guys won at that time, uh, 14 majors, um, you know, I mean, he's the best of all time, arguably, and his back's trashed. I mean, it'd be so easy to just be like, ah, I'm done. Right. And he just sort of hung in there. Like he didn't know, that the masters in 2019 was going to happen. I mean, at that point, you just don't know that. Right. And he just kind of hung in there out of principle, out of the principle of like his own spirit of like, Hey, I'm not ready to be done with this. Mm -hmm. um, so that just that, that mental kind of like tenacity of like just not giving up to me is, is really one of the biggest things I think anybody should take away from Tiger's career, probably more so than anything. Cause it, it sort of transcends golf in my mind. 
it's kind of like a, a big, big life lesson, right? Um, and then, and then how that translates to how we play the game, kind of what I was talking about before. Um, you know, there's this attitude of, hey, look, you know, if if your swing gets off during a round of golf, it's not like you miss greens in some sort of symmetrical fashion where, okay, I missed two, I hit two greens, miss one, hit two greens, miss one. It's more like you'll go through stretches where you'll miss like six greens in a row because you can't find find your swing, right? But for him, it's sort of like if he can stay in there with his short game, just hang in there, hang in there, get up and down over and over and over and over again, it gives him the opportunity to figure something out on the golf course swing-wise and then kind of get on a nice stretch again. So it's like this overall life attitude that I think you can really see in the way he plays golf. Um, so those are probably the two big – and there's probably so many different lessons. That I could, you know, <laughs> I'm sure there's a few more. <laughs> yeah. What would you – I'm just thinking – I'm just sort of thinking back to the amateurs. The majority of listeners to this are, are going to be amateurs. If – if an amateur is playing golf, they're three or four holes in, they, they feel they're losing their swing, their game's going to pot. What would you say is a good thing for them to, to do in the, mixed, in the midst of doing that, but also maybe off course to prepare for that, that to happen, if that makes sense? So what are the things that they can do when it's, when it is, when it's going bad on the course, but what, they can, what can they do off the course to, to help them in that scenario? Yeah, I mean, so so so... On the course, what can they do? I mean, that's that's probably them doing work with the coach and having a better understanding of their swing and their tendencies, and then you know, sort of strategies to kind of counter that whenever they do get into a little bit of a funk. Um, so that's that's a hard thing to know for sure for an individual, right? I mean, like the generics, the cliche stuff of like you know, have a a, a go to shot that you can just have like as a fairway finder or whatever, but. I know lots of people have fairway finders and don't find the fairway with it. So it's like that, that's got its own sort of, <laughs> sounds great, but, it's like, <laughs> fairway um, but uh, um, you know, in, in terms of preparing for it, I think that's a big thing. So one of the things I do with a lot of the guys I work with or the people I work with is so for example, like, you know, there'll be games where people do like uh, I think it's called like 21 or whatever, where you, you hit nine shots. And the idea is, you, you, you hit a short game shot, then you try to make the putt and you're basically trying to get up and down six out of nine times. And that's like kind of right around tour average. Um, and that's a great game. The problem is it kind of goes back to the whole thing where it's like, you're just going your six out of nine type of thing. Whereas the reality of golf is, can you handle stretches where things are in a funk? So what I do is I play a game, like we call it like streak. And it's basically saying, you know, how many times in a row can you get up and down? Um, and people have like their own personal best, like 11 or whatever it is. And like, let's say someone, and I'll do this during practice rounds at tournaments, but obviously people can do it at any time. If a guy, you know, goes and we drop a, he's playing his practice round, but we drop a ball by the green, he gets up and down and his streak is like 10. It's like, okay, you missed 10 greens in a row. Like you can do this, like to mentally start to believe that you can get up and down this many times in a row. And then if you do encounter that during a round of golf, you kind of have, um, you know, that, that experience to, to draw from a little bit. So that's sort of a simple kind of tip yeah. to, to start to implement that a bit. I think, I think the same with everything though. You just summed it up on course. It's tricky, but the preparation is a lot easier. You know, you can build sure. a lot more stuff and resilience off the golf course than you can on the course. Yeah. Right. For sure. So obviously um, 2020 happens. We have the uh, pandemic and Bryson DeChambeau decides that he's going to hit the golf ball load further. Um, when was this decided? When was this ins insane sort of speed idea? Where did it come from? And what was the, uh, when did it happen? Was it as soon as oh. we heard about it? 
No, I mean, we've been working together for like two and a half years. And um, yeah, I mean, we've been, I mean, you know, I think a lot of the work that we do is, is basically saying, okay, let's, let's, let's try to like shed any sort of presuppositions of things. Like let's, you know, uh, there's ideas of what should happen. You should do this or whatever. And it's like, let's strip that away and let's try to examine the kind of the game with almost like infant eyes. Right. And be like, okay, where are their edges to be found? Um, how, how can we get better with this? And, you know, this is something we've talked about and have, have kind of built towards for quite a while. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, but the reality is when you're working with like a guy who's playing for a living, they still have to play, right? There's still the, the sort of like, hey, I got to go play a tournament. I got to go, you know, make money, right? I got to go uh, keep my card or whatever it is. Um, so, so much in my mind of working with a, a tour player is, is sort of like the, the pacing you do things in, um, the overall kind of chess game you're trying to play, given the considerations of having to play for a living and all that. So when the COVID stuff happened, it was like, here's a window that we can really hammer it. So it seemed from the outside observers like it was an overnight thing because there was a stretch where like we weren't playing. But really, um, it was something we'd been kind of talking and working on for, for quite a while. So it was, a, it was almost like it was a window of opportunity, wasn't it? I think some golfers yeah. really benefited from it. So the young lad who we coach on European Tour, we really benefited from that. But I think some players maybe didn't. Maybe they just didn't do anything. But in yeah. Ryson's case, it was, and obviously to win the major as well, just phenomenal. And what, I suppose, I mean, from, from what you're comfortable sharing, you know, what have been the big things that you've actually changed? Obviously, we can see the physical difference of him. But what what are the sort of the biomechanical things that you've done? What's the main points for you? Yeah, so you know, there's there's been obviously the body changes a huge thing. Just the strength changes and, and his his body you know compositions followed quite a bit um, with that. Um, the other sort of big kind of bucket I would say is we've made some actual swing changes. Wave his hip motion is much different, much bigger turn. Um, is creating a, a lot more sort of like lag and transition or like this kind of, you know, that vertical wrist set called rake radial deviations, the fancy term, but like mm-hmm. it's a lot more lag and transition. Um, there's some stuff with how he works through the ball that allows him to control the face better um, at that speed. So a big part of it is, especially for, I would say for all golfers, but especially for a tournament golfer is, you know, you're only going to swing it as fast as you can control it more or less. Like there's sort of this speed limit in your mind. If like you're hitting balls just completely off the planet, you're like, ah, I can't do that. Right. So, you know, a lot of being able to actually get a guy to swing it faster who's playing competitive golf is sort of figuring out ways for them to be able to control it at speeds. Otherwise they're just not going to do it. Um, And I think that's part of what's been really interesting with all this speed stuff is, is understanding that, um, there are sort of like speed limits that can exist even if a person, you know, because of whatever considerations, even if a person has the potential to create a lot of speed, Um, you know, for example, like as his grip strength got stronger, not like in terms of the technique side, but actual like physical strength um, that allowed him to, to swing it faster because like, you're only going to kind of swing the club as fast as you can control it or hold on to it. So even if like the rest of your body's strong enough and fast enough to swing this thing fast, faster, if you're basically can't control it anymore, that's going to, to, to sort of um, determine the ceiling of what you can do. So, 
you know, that's kind of one example from a strength perspective, but then also from the technique side of it. And then, you know, he also did stuff, which was just, we would call it almost like a neurological training or central like nervous system type training where you're just basically trying to make yourself go as fast as possible. And I think it's sort of analogous to like, um, you know, how people sometimes run downhill to try to get their own kind of brain accustomed to moving faster. So it's really just sort of like getting out of your own comfort zone. And I do think a lot of, um, uh, recreational golfers can benefit from having a certain amount of their practice time allocated to just like trying to go faster, just trying to swing it faster. Um, I say that with a big asterisk because it's like, you want to make sure that you're also doing it safely. And this is where I think a lot of the training he did in the gym was giving the body, uh, sort of enough kind of like just structural, whatever fortitude to be able to really kind of like ramp up the speeds and still, still be very safe with it or still be pretty safe with it. Yeah, and I suppose it's just that overspeed training. So when you, so when you sort of come back to your normal speed, your normal speed is elevated because of the training that you're doing past that. Really, you mentioned yeah. grip strength as well, Chris. And and is that something that he's actually focused on working at the grip strength, strength, or is that just a, a result of the training that he's been doing? No, I mean it's something that that he's tried to do for sure. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So he's actually worked to strengthen in his his, his yeah his grip. That's yeah. 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 Brilliant. Absolutely. Okay, uh, we've got a few more questions here on Bryson. So obviously there's, a, there's, there's more of the, than just you. There's a team with, behind Bryson. You've got Mike, his coach as well. You work together and, and sort of look at that. Um, I think one of the questions that we, we hear all the time is, oh, what we, is he going to get injured and all this? And how do you, how do you bring the safety element into it? And how does he put that into to making sure the longevity is there? I'm sure that, he's, I'm sure that you guys... I mean, the, the health of the athlete now is, is the most important thing. What does he do to prevent injury and put himself in the best shape possible so he's not going to get hurt? Um, yeah, so, I mean, this is the, 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 the tough part. There's, there's always a risk at play, right? I mean, there really is. Like, you just can't deny that, that there is a risk to all this. And this is where I think a lot of what he is doing um, – should be even more commended because it's like, mm -hmm. look, the guy's taking somewhat of a risk. Um, yeah. And depending on how you define things, there's also a risk of doing nothing. Right. So it's like it, his goal is to be one of the best players in the world. And, and he felt like this was part of this kind of overall strategy to get there. Um, if he were to not, um, you know, get the speed, could he have still become one of the best players in the world? Sure. Um, but this is what he felt like was part of the strategy to do it. So he took on that risk. And now how do you kind of like be, you know, minimize that as much as possible. And that's a lot of the work that he's done um, with uh, Greg Roscoff in the gym um, and just kind of maintaining his body and developing the strength. So, you know, I think it'd be kind of silly to say there is no risk, um, but, but this is where we've tried to be as smart as possible with how to kind of make these changes. Yeah, well, um, and it's like, it's like, it's all 2020 hindsight, right? It's like, if something, if you were to get an injury, I mean, then it's like, okay, maybe that wasn't the right decision, right? I mean, we can always look backwards and be, be um, kind of have that 2020 hindsight sort of mindset. But at, at this given decision point, um, this is part of his goals and, and he's doing everything that we know how to do to, to sort of minimize the risk to still reach those goals. He's yeah. already in credit, isn't he? He's won a major championship. Yeah. So he's already. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. You know, again, it's like if, if somehow we had a crystal ball, I don't know, we may not, we may not even be teaching golf, right? So it's like, <laughs> um, but it's, 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 it's sort of, um, 
all you can do is kind of at your given decision point, taking as many variables as possible and make the best decisions you can. And this is, yeah. this is kind of what he's going with. But I think, you know, we're, we're massive fans of what, what you guys have done and what he's done because it's, uh, you know, it's changing the game. It's getting people, it's creating a different environment. You see the other players getting on board and Tony Finau swinging it at 200 miles an hour as well. And it's like, it's great to see really. So we think it's, it's you know, pushing the boundaries, which is brilliant. Um, I mean, go, talking about speed as well, Chris, for you now, how important is speed now for the next five to 10 years in terms of becoming world number one? Do you see that as you cannot be world number one unless you unless you've got a high speed, do you think it's just going to be more dominant over the next few years? Um, yeah. I mean, obviously like the, you can't be, that's, I mean, Luke Donald, it wasn't like a extremely long hitter and that wasn't that long ago and he was world number one. So, I mean, obviously, I mean, it can happen. Just the other things have to be just so precise. Right. So it's just a probability thing. I, I think, you know, if you have speed, that's going to increase the likelihood of, of you be playing better golf. Like it, it does matter in terms of like the, all the skills that go into golf. Um, and it's a skill, right? Um, and, and, and Bryson's showing it's a skill that can be trained and changed. So does it help? Absolutely. Just like being a great putter helps. Bryson's a great putter, <laughs> right? Just like being a great iron player helps. So, so these are all kind of like part of the, the, the multitude of skills that go into playing high level golf. Um, if one is, is sort of like deficient, then, you know, other things are going to have to kind of, you know, make up that, that aspect a little bit. Yeah. You can see that top 10 in the world. They're all uh, the majority along. You've got Morikawa and Webb Simpson who are in there, but um, the majority of the rest guys are uh, they're pretty, yeah, yeah, they're bombers of the ball. Yeah. So, I mean, it helps. Is it all there is to the game? Absolutely not. Um, but it does help. Hi everyone, Andy here, just letting you know about something that we've created just for you. MeAndMyGolf.com is our membership platform that we believe is the best resource out there to improve your golf. And one of the questions that we get asked all the time is what's the difference between YouTube and the website? And the main difference being is that sometimes people can get lost in content on YouTube and not really having a clear structure or plan of where to go. So we wanted to create something that was, was really going to help golfers. We've got over a thousand uh, coaching videos on there, but our main thing or main feature on there are the coaching plans. And we've seen some amazing results from these plans. And these are basically carefully designed plans on all areas of the game, so you don't have to think or worry about what to do. We tell you exactly what to practice each week and whether you're looking to break a certain score, fix a slice, improve your putting or short game, we have a plan that will suit you. We're even staggered at some of the results that golfers are getting from these as well. And we even have a private Facebook group where all of our members go and share experiences and support each other. Real nice place, positive place to be. And we'd love to see you over there and have the chance to help you with your game. So make sure you head over to meandmygolf.com and check out your free trial with no obligations to join. Check it out and see if you can find a plan and become a part of this amazing community. All right, Chris, let's get into amateur golfers. So... Obviously, you still do a lot of coaching. What are the common things that you see amateurs doing with the driver that sort of keeps reoccurring? <laughs> Eyebrows go up and it's like, ah. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, wow. Reoccur I mean, I think the typical is like kind of like the slicing move, right? Which is just, in my mind, it's, it's, it's mostly like not really knowing how to score the face. And then they instinctively kind of shift the path left to, to accommodate that sort of that open face. And um so, I mean, I think that's probably the typical thing. So to me, it's like a, a lot of recreational golfers. It's like, just if you can learn what the face needs to do throughout the swing. Um, 
going back, coming down, even late through the ball, I think is such a big deal. And then, and then I think oftentimes the, the overall shape of the swing, like to say the swing plane, if you will, for terminology, whatever, um, oftentimes will follow what that face is doing. If you can learn how to work the face better, yeah. that's probably the biggest thing. And then I think with the face, you know, a lot of it, it can be oftentimes addressed to like, you know, how are they gripping it? So this is where like fundamental air quotes, fundamentals like matter, uh, uh, quite a bit. And, you know, obviously we see so many different grips that have existed over time, but there's certain grips that you just don't really see on the PGA tour that I, you will see with amateurs, like kind of really in the palm weak. Like you just don't see a tour. You see guys have weaker grips on tour, but not like the way an amateur will oftentimes show up with a grip. So I think, you know, at least getting in, in sort of, you know, certain things with your grip, right. From the fundamentals perspective and then working the face better is, is oftentimes the, the most low hanging fruit for a person. Yeah, I think we always talk about the club face being the king of the golf swing and how many compensations happen as a result. But people, golfers, generally don't look at the club face. They'll actually look at the big over-the-top move and go, okay, I need to fix that. And we go, okay, let's get the face sorted first, please. <laughs> yeah, I think so. What about from a body perspective as well, Chris? Hmm. Obviously, from I think the face is obviously crucial. What do you see from how the golfer's setting up, driver, how they're moving their body, that, that, that if somebody's you know, at home now, they could potentially think about working at the, how they can pivot their body in a better way. From mm -hmm. what you think, th how maybe that, that, let, that let them down. Yeah, I, I think from a, from a body perspective, I mean, this is also like a safety thing. I think in general, you want most of like your motion, your rotation to come from your hips. Um, you know, I think if your hips get too kind of stuck with their motion, you're trying to turn from um, like, say your lower back, that's usually not a great place for the back. So I think in general, just really learning how to like get those hips to move quite a, so it was like Chubb from, from Happy Gilmore. It wasn't like, yeah, it's yeah. all in the hips. It's, yeah. like, it's good too. So, <laughs> so I think, I, I think, I think, you know, and for some people it's kind of unnerving to feel like there's that much turn in their hips, but I, yeah. But I think as, as again, as like just sort of a generic thing, I think that's a really good place for people to start with their lower body. Um, and then, and then that's going to start to kind of lead into, you know, how to use your legs, how to use your, your sort of your ankles and your, and your feet in general. And then that, that ties into like the ground reaction force stuff, but it's like, that's all fancy language for just saying, Hey, you know, get your hips going a little bit more. <laughs> yeah. It's amazing. Is I'm thinking back to how, how old are you, Chris, actually? You're 43. 43. It's amazing how, like, I know I'm just trying to think of how, how long, but how coaching has changed. I know years and years ago, the sexy thing was to have a stable base, turn the torso against the stable base and have a, a small amount of hip turn and keep the right leg flexed. And now it's sort of the opposite. It's really allowed the lower body to work and just create this big pivot with a hip motion. And um, it's amazing to see how coaching has changed over the years. And, and it's almost gone back from, you look at some of the older players like Nicholas and Palmer and how they used to move. It's sort of moving back to a more natural free flowing motion where there's a lot of movement instead of all this sort of stable motion. It's just, it's just sort of gone full circle, hasn't it really? Yeah. And I, I think the thing is that, that you gotta be, that's interesting to all this stuff is that like a lot of these themes that we've seen in, in instruction, um, they're oftentimes kind of counters to what happened before that. Um, so, and, and at the end of the day, they're feels, they're subjective, right? They're not objectively what a person is doing, because if you look at people in like, let's say, you know, the late eighties, nineties to like, you know, early two thousands, which is where, and I think you got a lot of that kind of more restricted sort of theme of instruction. 
people still play great golf. Like there's still guys on tour who are awesome. And it wasn't like injuries were rampant. So why was that feel a bad thing per se? Yeah. Um, I mean, it, it wasn't in, in and of itself because it's just a feel. So in a lot of ways, I think that theme was a, um, you know, more of a reaction to things like low and slow, drive your legs, reverse C type of thing, which was kind of the, the, the theme that preceded it. And you could say that that theme, you know, was maybe somewhat of an overcorrection of what preceded it. And then guys were kind of in the middle. Like if you look at people who were from that era, like say Faldo or Price or whoever, um, or, you know, even Earl, Ernie Ells, like kind of early in his career, um, they still had pretty good hip turn. Maybe Ells not quite as much, but he had a lot of thoracic motion so he can make up for it, right? But they still had a lot of hip turn, even though they were trying to resist their, their legs more, they still turned their hips pretty good. It just changed more than anything. It changed kind of like the orientation of their turn as opposed to kind of being more like this way is maybe a little bit more, you know, kind of in a rotational sense without so much tilting back and forth. And, and, you know, at the end of the day, this is where I think it's really important too. It's like, one, you can get a lot of hip turn, even with your right knee staying somewhat flexed. You don't have to straighten your right knee. And then two, even though someone's straightened the right leg, what are the muscles doing? There's a big difference between air quotes, trying to straighten your right leg. That's a totally different group of muscles that are working versus, Hey, I'm trying to turn my hips and my right leg gets pulled straight, even though I'm trying to resist my knee from straightening. So, you know, it's, it, here's the fancy language the difference between the muscles and say your leg firing concentrically and eccentrically. They're two, you could see, you can look at the video and see a guy straighten his right leg a bit, but the muscles that are making that happen could be completely different. And this is where I think, you know, there's a bit of the devil in the detail with things, but, uh, but as a general theme, it's like every feel can work potentially. So when someone says like, Oh, this has changed or that's changed. It's like every feel that someone's had is potentially on the table for another person to use to help them get better. It's now about, you know, saying, what are you objectively doing now? Where do we want to get you objectively to? And then what feels potentially can be a tool to help you get there. And in my mind, anything's on the table. Yeah. Um, so I might tell, I might tell a guy to resist his lower body. I might tell a guy to straighten his right leg. I might tell a guy to turn as much as he can. I might tell a guy to like, who knows? It's all potential tools in my mind to, to use with someone, but it's more about how do I think that that specific tool will help a person get objectively to where we want them to get. Yeah, there's no wrong feels. If it produces the motion that you want, is there really? And that's the, that's the key thing. We all, we're all so different. And I know when we've listened to, we were at the photo shoot with um, the Taylor May guys at the back end of last year, and you're just listening to Morikawa and Tiger talking about the feels and you know, Tiger talks about the feel in his hands all the time when he plays all the shots. And it's just fascinating to understand how it looks and how it feels. And often they don't match up really, but it's always- And I think, the mis- I think the mistake a lot of like, you know, golfers make is that Tiger felt this, I'm going to feel this. Well, it's like, <laughs> you know, it's like, well, what, 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 what's your starting point, right? It's like, if, 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 if uh, let's say I'm trying to drive to Las Vegas and, and, and someone says to me, Hey, you know, the way to get to Vegas is to drive East for four hours and they live in LA, but I'm starting in Dallas. Uh, I'm not going to end up in Vegas if I, if I go by their, their directions. Right. So it's like, you also got to understand the starting point 
um, and, and how a person's feel relates to their starting point to get them to where they want. And does that really apply to you is kind of, you know, the judgment you have to make, but that's where, you know, I, I'm a big advocate with, uh, for, you know, partnering with a coach that can help you make those, those judgments. Yeah. Okay. I think let's, let's get to the quick, quick fire. fire yeah. yeah. We'll go to the quick fire questions. These tend to not be so quick fire. Um, <laughs> for some reason, I don't know why, maybe it's the way we ask the questions. Uh, but we've got five of them here. Best experience in golf so far for you? What's been your best experience? Um, I can't do that. Um, <laughs> um, just the people, I mean, just, it's just so generic. Just the people I've met. Like, I mean, I love doing the show where I like work with all these different coaches. I mean, obviously Tiger and Bryson have all been incredible experiences. I mean, I love going to grad school and getting down the rabbit hole of research. I don't know. Don't do that to me. <laughs> Inconclusive. That's it. Yeah. Do you know what? Yeah, golf's great though, isn't it? it creates, it's great. It's great. It the whole thing's been an incredible experience. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It's a uh, it's fantastic sport to be in. Um, what's the best piece of advice you've had? The best piece of... God, I'm so bad at these because I'm just like, I, I hate that. Um, best <laughs> piece of advice. Um... Um, don't, don't, don't judge your desire, um, with things like, you know, for example, like, um, um, you know, I, I, there were some people who were in my ear when I was started going to grad, cause my business was really starting to go good. They're like, why are you going to go to like school for like this? It's a waste of time or whatever. And I just sort of had this, like, like this instinct of like, I want to do this. Um, so there's been things that I've, I've done career wise where, there's been like, you know, try to have, like kind of connect with that intuition of like, okay, I have this desire for something. Um, what is that? And even though I don't quite know the why to, to let myself kind of move through that um, and then see where that gets you. And, and, you know, at the end of the day, you know, wherever it gets you, um, you know, depending on how you judge it, you can determine it's good or bad. But to me, it's like, if you follow it, you're going to learn some really great lessons from it. So I like it. I like that. Very good. Okay, this is a, it's an interesting question. We're getting you thinking now, Chris, sorry. Um, what did you once believe to be true that has now changed in golf? So what did you once believe to be true that's now, that you, that, that's changed your mind? It could be coaching or anything like that, that you think once were you, at some point you thought this is the way things are, this is true. Now you've had a, a different opinion. I'm glad we're not. Uh, okay. I, I mean, I mean, I mean, early on, I think kind of like that other conversation we had about like the aesthetics of things. I mean, I think when I first got into like the instruction game, there was a huge sort of um, um, just a lot of um, weighting of like the importance of, you know, air quotes being on plane, having the face look a certain way. So that was like an early, like kind of like, you know, I guess influence or something I was exposed to very early on. Um, but you know, at the end of the day, I think I've always tried to be pretty, pretty critically thinking of things. And to me, it's like, okay, well, uh, this guy is doing all the things that are being advocated for, like it's on plane, the face is square and he hits it like crap. And then this guy is not doing any of them. Um, planes all over the place, face is a little shut, whatever it is. And he flushes it. So, you know, what's going on here and, you know, if that's good, then I'm going to argue that the definition of good is bad. So, so yeah. to me, um, I think, you know, I definitely early on got kind of like, you get influenced by that, that sort of that, that, that mindset. But then I think pretty quickly I was able to kind of break out of it and be like, okay, what, you know, how do I, how do I have an idea of what I like in something like a golf swing or whatever, but then 
then work really hard to prove myself wrong. So I think that overall philosophy of, you know, it's easy to be like, I think this is important and then find observation to prove yourself right. Like to cherry pick it. That's easy. Yeah. Challenge is, I think this is important. Okay. Now I'm going to try to find people who hit it really well for in instance for golf or, 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 or who, who have the outcome that I'm sort of thinking, whatever I think is right will create, but they do different than what I'm advocating for or what I think is right. So yeah. trying to, does that idea of trying to prove yourself wrong, I think is a really important kind of philosophical thing to work from. Um, so. Yeah. I like it. Brilliant. Very good. Uh, what one thing would you change about golf? Um, the, 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 the dislike for hoodies. I love hoodies. <laughs> they're, they're great. That, that's like the uh, best thing ever. Best I'm all about hoodies. Golf. Yeah. I don't get it. I'm, I'm all about hoodies. I mean, you know, I grew up surfing and skateboarding in California. I didn't come from a golf background. Um, you know, never belonged to a country club, worked at a driving range, picking up balls. So I'm like, I'm like a public golf kid at heart. Right. Um, I think the sport is amazing. Um, I love it. I think it's such a great game. Um, I think some of the traditional definitions of what golf is, um, you know, don't open it up to kind of everybody in a lot of ways. And I love the idea that golf can be so many different things, right? Like you have things like top golf, like, is that golf? I mean, people love it. There's something just very, just kind of almost like primal about hitting a golf ball that can really connects with people. So I think golf can look in so many different ways. A six hole, a six hole round golf is just going to the driving range and hitting balls. Golf um, is for some, I have some students that I work with who basically just want to build a golf swing. They're not even looking at the skills part They're It's almost like they're going through like martial arts katas where they're going to kind of slow and learning movements and that they really enjoy that. So why can't that be golf? Um, so the one thing is, is sort of, I would say this sort of rigid definition that people oftentimes um, have golf fall under and, and, and oftentimes maybe some of the cultural things that follow that. Um, I just think golf is this incredible game that can appeal to people in so many different ways and can look a variety of different ways to different people. Um, so that, that's probably one of the, my personal frustrations. Yeah. It's moving that way, which is good. It's definitely moving Changing. in the right direction. Hopefully. <laughs> okay. And last one, what are, would you, what would you say are three golf truths? Well, three, three Read, truths about golf. <laughs> Three truths about golf. You didn't know we were going to uh, test you out today, did you, Chris? <laughs> Sorry. Um, three truths about golf. Gosh, I mean, that's part of the appeal is that it's like such a mystery, right? It's like... Mm -hmm. That's a good um, <laughs> We get some good answers to this, actually. Yeah, yeah. We get some good answers to this. Mix, no pressure, but we do get some good answers. <laughs> do you really? Yeah, yeah. There's just a lot of different answers, which is good. It's just what I suppose. Yeah, because you just get an insight into the person, I suppose. Do you have answers that contradict contradict themselves? Because then it's like, are they? <laughs> then they're truths or very truths, right? <laughs> <Probably>. <laughs> I'm interested to hear the answers that kind of contradict themselves. Like, oh. <laughs> that wasn't a truth. Um, of uh, man, hey, I, I, I don't know. Truce to golf. I mean, it's, it, I mean, I really feel like it's the, it's just the cliche of the microcosm of life, right? Like it's just, there's so many aspects of it. There's so many things that are so unknown and, and, and you're still, and that's part of the, one of the appeals to me is, is the unknownness of it. And then how do you have strategies that deal with the unknown, which I think is a fundamental part of like life. Um, 
because we're always managing unknowns, right? In a lot of ways. Um, um, you know, you know, it's it's not one of those things where it's 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 perfectly correlated to working hard. There's plenty of people who work really hard at the game and get worse, right? So I can't say something like, "Well, if you put in work, you get results." It's like that's not always true, um, which is sort of messed up, but is also part of life too, right? Um, and then how do you kind of deal with like adversity? Is is a big part of it. Uh, I don't know. I just think, I mean, this is so cliche, but I just, I think it really is kind of like if there is a sport that really sort of captures an, a, a many aspects of life, I think it, it's golf. And I've, I love sports and I've played a lot of sports, but I, don't, I can't think of any other sport that comes as close to golf in that regard. So I'm just going to go with that. Yeah, no, that's that's sorry. Definitely yeah, parallels. I think that's a great. I think I pulled three out of that. Don't worry. We, we've, not, we've not heard that <laughs> one either. So I think that one's good. I, 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 I feel like I failed you on that one. <laughs> no, 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 that's all. That's all. You it's definitely good. filled it out with at least three in there. I'm glad we just put the easy questions in. <laughs> <laughs> you know what, Chris? It's been. I, we said to you when we first came on. You know, thank, first of all, thank you so much for your time. It's been awesome, sort of getting to meet you. You know, we've we've we felt like we've known you for a long time with all the great stuff that you're doing, whether it be online, whole channel. Um, we really obviously want to be able to do some stuff face to face with you as well. That'd be awesome. You know, we'll get some, yeah. I'm sure. So just need some help with his golf. Yeah. 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 We both need help. We both need help, but you know what? It, it would be awesome to do something in the, in the future. And I think we can, you know, do some real cool stuff, but what other than the collab with me and my golf, what is next for Chris Como? What do you got coming up? Um, you know, we're doing some more episodes with swing expedition, uh, this year. Awesome. Um, which I, I love doing that show because to me, there's, there's, you know, so many great coaches out there that got interesting stuff. And for me, it's a lot of fun to kind of go out there and, and, you know, a lot of these guys I've known for a long time and, and ladies, but, but, um, it's fun to, to spend some time with them. Um, and then just really kind of take their information and, and show the world kind of like just the, what I feel is like the talent that's out there with coaching. Um, I've partnered with this guy named Caleb Presley who's on Barstool, does 51 strokes. I'm kind of helping him with his game, which is a fun project. Got the tour guys, which is always fun, especially as, as the year starts really getting into it. Um, I'm gonna try and do some more Instagram stuff. So uh, I guess Chris Como Golf is my shameless plug on Instagram. Um, but uh, but yeah, I don't know. Just kind of just kind of keep doing it, I guess. Yeah, well, we'll do, keep doing what you're doing because it's great. We love it. We love watching, and I'm sure there's plenty of people out there who do as well. And if they haven't heard from you, they need to go and check out Chris Como Golf and all the other stuff that you're doing. So, yeah, great job, well done. Thanks, guys. Cool. Like, likewise, it'd be fun. I, well, yeah, we'll, we'll have like a. You can help me with my swing. We can give each other golf lessons. <laughs> Brilliant. Cheers, Chris. Thanks so much for your time. Thank you, guys. Thanks for listening to this episode. We hope you found some great value in it. And if you did, make sure you subscribe to the podcast and share it with a friend. Also, let us know your feedback by leaving us a rating or review over on iTunes. And remember, if you want to go deeper and really improve your game, head over to meandmygolf.com and start your free trial and check out one of the many plans that are seeing incredible results. Thanks again for listening, and we look forward to speaking to you next week.